Hello, and welcome to The Rodeo on Record. We'll jump into the good stuff in just a moment, but first, some context. The Rodeo is an independent music magazine showcasing the best in new music across genres of alternative, indie and Americana. From interviews to featured articles, the mag encompasses everything we love about gig-going, vinyl collecting and playlist making. Now, off the back of the magazine comes our latest venture, The Rodeo On Record, offering a behind-the-scenes look at our content, bringing you snippets of our interviews in their most organic form. My name is Liv Cowell, I'm one of the editors and writers at The Rodeo, and I'm beyond excited to bring you this podcast. The Rodeo On Record is something we've wanted to do for a long time, seeing as there's so much material that we don't get to share with our readers each issue. From bonus questions to tangent chats, this is the place to be for exclusive insight into what makes our magazine so flippin' fabulous. So giddy up, partner. Let's get to it. This episode, we're taking a look at some of the artists appearing at Fair Play, a brand new festival taking place across Manchester's Northern Quarter on Saturday, 2nd of April. Coming up, you'll hear from London punkers Big Joni, for me, punk is about kind of having that ability to to create and also to be rebellious and to kind of find your own way through life. The genre fluid northern lot, Yang. If you really like, if you just read the lyrics out of context, it just sounds like he's having the worst night ever, but it's sung as if he's having a great night. And dance floor activists regressive left. It would feel a bit out of touch with the time, I feel, to be writing just like happy go lucky. Yeah. yeah. Each of these interviews is available in full on our website, therodeomag.com, so if what you hear piques your interest, head online to get the full scoop. First up is London trio Big Joni in conversation with our writer Bridie. In the write-up, Bridie summarised them as the black feminist sister-punk trio reclaiming space for fellow punks of colour. That's in reference to their involvement in founding Decolonise Fest, a London-based non-profit punk festival celebrating punks of colour. We love to see it. Now, with a kick-ass festival, a debut album and a recent tour with idols all under their belt, Big Joni are ready to hit the fair play stage with everything they've got. The audio here follows singer and guitarist Stephanie and bassist Estella explaining how they're shaking up the punk genre and what makes events like Decolonised Fest so important in their fight for diversity. Yeah, I think kind of the idea of punk is really important to me. I think, you know, sometimes people describe us in so many different words and like they think that we're indie or we're kind of post-punk or, but I think punk is really important to what Big Joni is and what we stand for in terms of kind of, for me, punk is about being DIY and specifically creating your own culture. And when I found out about, you know, Riot Girl and kind of that kind of 90s feminist punk, that was like really changed everything around for me because it like gave me the chance to see that I had, I could, I could make my own culture. I could do things myself. I didn't have to rely on someone else to tell me what was the most important aspect of culture and what was the most important, you know, what was the best way to write a song or what was the best lyric. It's something you can take into your own hands. And so I think kind of for me, punk is about kind of, having that the ability to to yeah to create and also to be rebellious and to kind of um find your own way through life yeah i think uh, similarly it's like mainly been about uh community for me in my experience like um 
like yeah DIY communities um because that's like how I got involved in playing in uh, bands and stuff it's always like DIY bands and um the people who kind of would give us shows and stuff it wasn't like big promoters or anything it was always like people who were our friends or in other bands who were like lending us gear and things like that that to me kind of showed me like I guess similarly to what Steph said like you don't have to um kind of stick to the norm in terms of like figuring out how to like play shows or even like how to be in a band or how to write a song or whatever it was always very much like about um if you didn't have what you wanted at hand you would create it yourself which I think Mm -hmm. is kind of what that space was about then when Decolonize first started it was about um you know not seeing a punk festival for punks of colour so creating it ourselves and our own community like um for our own people who wanted to see that that kind of thing yeah and yeah that seems like a big part of it for me I think Um, that kind of leads on to my next question, actually. So um, one thing in the Decolonized Fest Manifesto and with yourselves as a band is that you are rewriting the roles of punk. Um, and I wondered if you could expand on what that means to be rewriting the roles of punk as punks of colour. Um, I don't know what, like, whether that's sonically, lyrically, or as we say, in the, in the culture itself. I think it's a lot within the culture itself. It, you know, for so long, kind of, punk is was described as something that um, was kind of very static and very kind of rigid and it was kind of four white guys, you know, Sex Pistols, The Clash, um, The Buzzcocks, those, that was punk and that's what's died and that's how everything else came to life. Um, Whereas kind of looking at punk from a different angle, you kind of see that there was so much more to it than just kind of that like really strict narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, I think kind of decolonizing punk and kind of breaking it down is about kind of seeing beyond kind of what the kind of white male hegemonic view of music that music scene would be and kind of looking at the like real history of it of like you know that there were people of color in that scene at that time that you know guitar music developed from a lot of kind of black music communities and cultures and that there's been so many kind of interactions with different communities that means that punk is more than just one specific thing. So it's, for me, it's kind of about going back in history. So, so yeah, it's, it's like going to like rewriting the rules rather than like, um, you know, like rip it up and start again. It's like rewriting it and going, looking back, um, as you say, yeah. rather than. Yeah, definitely. Because I think sometimes people want to kind of write you into the future but that kind of negates the reality that we've always kind of been there and yeah. we don't have to kind of ask for permission to be there in the future. It's like we we kind of started it with everyone else and have been there all the all this while. So um, knowing that gives you a lot of power and give you, it gives you a lot of kind of, um, yeah, power to kind of realise that, you know, you deserve to be there as much as everyone else. And pride's something that's really important um, Decolonize Fest. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here. It was it 2016 Decolonize Fest started. Um, so first, um, yeah, I think we started planning 2016, and the first festival was in 2017 in London at DIY yeah. Space in London. So I wanted to ask, what is something that you're particularly proud of? Because that's you've been going for a long time now. I wondered what your 
if, if there is something you could pinpoint, there'll be lots of things I'm sure over the years now, if there's something that stands out as one of, you know, an achievement you're particularly proud of. And what would you say, Stella? For me, I think, again, kind of being able to like build a community around it, like it's a festival where people feel comfortable to attend on their own and know that they're going to meet like-minded people and make friends um, across the course of the weekend. I think because of the way we usually structure it. So in the past we've had like um, opening events on a Friday evening and then talks and workshops and really interactive things in the daytime um, on the Saturday and Sunday followed by um, bands in the evening. And um, so like obviously we say it's a festival by punks of colour, for punks of colour. So everybody in the organising team is a person of colour. Um, and you, every act you'll see on stage, every facilitator for a workshop will be a person of colour. Um, but audience-wise, it's open to everyone. And we always get a really um, broad, diverse audience. Um, our artists leave happy because they get to play to uh, people who the majority look like them, are like really into like you know even if they've not even heard them before like giving the music a chance and like paying them attention and um, we work to make sure that it's an enjoyable experience for the artists in terms of like making sure they're properly looked after making sure they're properly compensated things like that so I think being in that sense we're proud of being able to um yeah just be able to put on a festival like this that many people have said it's like their first time experiencing something like it and where everybody feels welcome and yeah we're able to center people of color where you know we're so often not centered um, or devalued in like wider society we'll leave that chat there but head to our website to access the full written q a completely free of charge where the pair discuss their highlights from touring with idols and the great things lined up for their upcoming live shows Thank you to Stephanie and Estella for giving us their thoughts there and to Bridie for leading that interview. More information on all the amazing events happening with the Decolonise Fest can be found at decolonise.org.uk. And of course, you can catch Big Jory on stage at Fair Play in Manchester on the 2nd of April. Next up, it's self-described genre-fluid band Yang. Now we're glad that they dubbed themselves that way because it takes the pressure off us trying and failing to sum them up nicely. Our deputy editor Nick had the chance to catch up with the band ahead of their appearance at Fair Play, introducing them as blending electronic goodness, hook-led melodies and northern grits with all the meat and potatoes of DIY culture, creativity and having a laugh. Offering an insight into the story behind their recent single, White Socks Yellow, which you can hear now. It starts with the incredible line, I'm pissed, I lost my phone last night. This clip is a great look into what makes the new Yang tick. Newest member Ben kicks us off. Davey was talking about this idea he had for a concept album to do with walking home from work because he walks out of Atma and it's just surrounded with people from the pier hat that have been getting pissed. And then that idea sort of merged with what I already had. It was like, right, let's do a thing of a guy. He's pissed as fuck. He's having a bad night. Like, I don't know where it came from in Davy's head that I pissed my pants, blah, 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 because we were just playing through and he came out with it. And then we were a bit like, 
yeah, that's cool. We'll keep it. It's mental, but it works. So I'll, I'll never truly know the the full story within Davy's head of how he came up with that. But it's just sort of a commentary on British drinking culture, um, which as bartenders and lovers of beer, we're all very much a part of. Um, it's like you could tell that one of the themes in it is the fact that uh, if you really like, if you just read the lyrics out of context, it just sounds like he's having the worst night ever, but it's sung as if he's having a great night. So it's like he's almost proud of how bad his night is going. Yeah. But you meet drunks like that, don't you, sometimes? You kind of drink. Yeah. Drink to be it's drunk. Like, oh, fucking great. Like my wife's real well angry at me. I got in a fight and I pissed myself. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's horrible. No, what do you mean? It's great. <laughs> yeah. I re- yeah. There's, you have that interaction with someone who's always like, yeah, my wife's just left me. Or <laughs> as if it's like an achievement. I'll go through a divorce as if it's like an achievement. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, White Sox Yellow, like um, you kind of mentioned that you've gone away from that ele- electronic vibe to a bit more of a guitar vibe. Um, do you think this is a new Yang? Because it kind of sounds like a, a new Yang. Yeah, I think so. Like yeah. we write things differently now because we used to have like a production chain where it'd be like Davey would have a, Davey would write like a beat on his sampler and then I would add like bass lines and I'd kind of do like quality control and be like, oh, I don't like this bit, take this out. Like I'd refine it and then add stuff. So everything would always have to start with Davey because when we play it live, it's always like 70% sampler. But now me and Ben can actually write stuff and we can just use the sampler for drums so we can like actually write like fully formed songs uh, and we can bring riffs like before we even start with the beat on the, on the sampler, which is great. And that was one of the main reasons I... I was feeling a bit disillusioned last summer is because I was like, I can't really start any songs. I just have to wait for Davey. But now it's like, we can do whatever we want. And that's what we did for uh, um, White Sox Yellow. We all just wrote our individual bits. And like, I had a song that I was doing by myself that I'd brought to the band. And I was like, well, can we play this? We have, we physically can. Uh, so it's much better now because I think it is a new, new young. Let's try and not abandon the old one because we still do some, some old songs. Uh, like the song Tracy Beaker, which was on our, one of our old EPs. And like we've played that every gig we've ever done since the first one, and like probably will do for the foreseeable until we write anything better. So it's like it's not we're not trying to like completely erase what it was before, but it definitely feels like we're a different band now. As a former bartender in Newcastle, of all cities, I can completely relate to the many, many stories of observing the British public from behind the bar. We need more songs documenting this. Cheers to Yang for their time and to Nick for conducting that interview. You can read the full Q&A online and make sure to catch the boys playing their hometown as they finish up their tour at Fair Play in Manchester. Now the final band we've got for you today is South England group Progressive Left, whose aim is to bring politics to the dance floor. Sounds strange, but believe me it works. Sitting down with our writer, Daisy, Georgia, Will and Simon talked us through their story so far, having only performed live for the first time last year. And with Covid cancelled shows, that meant that the debut performance was at bloody latitudes of all stages. With a name like Regressive Left, it's unsurprising that most of their lyrics are a commentary on politics in one shape or form. When prompted by Daisy, the trio had some brilliant thoughts on why this is the case. Take a listen. 
When you came together more lyrically or topically, I suppose, was it something that you set out to to be a deliberately political band, I suppose, with the name? Or was that something that you just, you, you know, you're just observing what's happening around us and that naturally comes out in the lyrics and the music? It's a bit of both. I think I was struggling to write about anything else. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I could really write about anything else. So it wasn't like I wanted to, to write necessarily just about politics, but equally, obviously arriving at the name Regressive Left, I knew that I wanted almost a vessel for the, the ranting. <laughs> even though it's not necessarily all ranting, it's just, it's just a vessel for like the, the dialogue and the discourse. So yeah, it was a semi-conscious thing. Yeah, I think like what you said earlier, that like doing stuff like Root and like we're all just in our normal lives, politically active mm-hmm. people. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff you talk about as friends. We were never really going to make music that was anything other than political yeah I mean if, if the world became suddenly a much better place and we kind of didn't feel like we had anything more to say then I kind of do think maybe regressive left wouldn't be a thing anymore like maybe we the the you know there wouldn't be any anything else to sing about for this project start writing love songs yeah well exactly <laughs> exactly and it's like before regressive left I don't know like I feel quite sad for younger generations because when we were like 15 16 like politics wasn't quite as horrible you know things were bad but it wasn't this constant like you know doom scrolling drip feed of everything is terrible um and I feel like we were quite lucky in that we had a we had a little bit of a a couple of years where we could just like listen to bands like you know about like the fact that when we were teenagers there were bands like Tame Impala and stuff that were really big it seems almost a bit like it's kind of hard to imagine that now it would feel a bit out of touch with the time I feel to be writing just like happy-go-lucky yeah and it's interesting you mentioned the kind of like doom scrolling I feel like at the moment or especially in the past few years social media has become this massive part to play in kind of people's political awareness um and I, I kind of wanted to know what you make of the sort of trend for like Instagram activism or infographic kind of sharing and that sort of the relationship of that with your music I suppose or kind of being a political band on social media yeah we don't post about political things like I wouldn't you know we we don't do that kind of thing and even as people individually we don't really do that and there is yeah there is a sense of if you're not if you're not posting about political things, are you active? Are you, are you, you know, being politically active and opposing things? But then it's kind of like, actually, you know, what you do in real life, like doing stuff like Root is way more important than sharing a post that says, fuck the Tories or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think as well, you can get, it's really important to not get worn out, I think. And I was, we were actually talking about this exact thing the other day, um, saying that like sometimes it gets to the point where I see so much on social media that it makes me kind of despondent to it or 
it you makes almost me get a bit like paralyzed yeah you get fatigued by it and it's hard it's hard you can't physically feel passionate and angry 100 percent of the time mm-hmm. you you know some people can yeah but it's <laughs> it's not obviously it's not healthy no it's not healthy but on social media it's so easy to be like that but that it that doesn't actually get you any closer to you know changing things yeah it's a really difficult one with with instagram um sort of activism and the like i think on the one hand it's it's always a good thing for there to be more information out there and for people to be more tuned in and more aware and the freedom that the internet can provide and social media like the the, the engagement that you can get and the, the freedom of information traveling between people is great but there is a real danger in trying to like distill quite complex things into you know however many characters that you can fit into a tweet or uh you know a, a sort of snazzy instagram story it's, it's really tough it's really tough and it's the same thing with music like you can't really put very easily quite a complex argument into a pop song it's it's i don't know it's a really difficult one like i think there is there is a social media does uh, obviously people talk about polarization but i think it's more that it just encourages being contrarian as well for no real reason like everybody needs to have a take and sometimes there isn't really you know the right take it's just that you need to sort of things aren't always black and white yeah i mean imagine every book on politics was just a tweet you can't do it like i don't know it doesn't encourage sort of level of introspection and and um comprehension yeah i suppose the idea is that people use whatever information they find on social media or indeed you know lyrical content in political music and that sort of thing and then use that as a springboard to then yeah go and look deeper yeah i mean the great there was a great after black lives matter that was when i first saw all the sort of like you know the pink instagram stories and it was like you know telling people to read angela davis and stuff and that's obviously really good because that's not just saying you know here's here's the take it was saying like do your reading but then i guess it's always difficult because you could you could end up getting like a completely US centric view of things from those Instagram posts and completely miss like Stuart Hall and all the UK academics on the on the same topic. So um, that's why it's difficult. Have you found with well with the band name being regressive left? Have you found that that's geared any attention from like the right wing towards you guys, or has it been kind of? <laughs> We've had a few nutters. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, the right the right don't seem to get irony, um, which is, well, I feel bad for them, I suppose, that they don't get irony. Yeah, we've definitely had a few, like, nutters throw, throw their opinions our way. While I could absolutely let the rest of that fantastic conversation run on, that seems like a good place to leave things for now. Instead, I'll encourage you to head to our website for the rest of the interview, free of charge. Thank you to Georgia, Will and Simon for taking the time to chat with us and to Daisy for leading that Q&A. Regressive Left will of course be playing Fair Play Fest in Manchester. In fact, in case you missed it, all of the artists we spoke with in this episode are playing Fair Play Fest in Manchester on Saturday 2nd of April and the full interviews can be read in Q&A format for free online at therodeomag.com. Now we're releasing two episodes for our coverage of Fair Play Fest 2022. So if you enjoyed this, then do go and check out the other episodes and hear our writers speaking with Big Smoke rock duo Horsey, 
I remember when we were starting out, we were getting booked to play in like Camden, and every band just sounded like the Kooks or something, like tail end of that like indie nothing like landfill stuff. Art rockers, blue bendy. It can be beautiful and it can be textural and. Um, not only will it sound different, it will just elevate the whole thing. Dream pop duo Robbie and Mona. I feel like could be, we could be a bit more expressive than Robbie and Mona in that, exactly in that sort of alter ego character narrative with the music. And indie rock group Bull. Any, any ways that venues can help people feel safe or bands can help people feel safe is good. Thank you so much for listening to The Rodeo on Record. If you enjoyed, and we hope you did, make sure to tell a pal, a colleague, anyone who listened really, and give us a big fat five-star rating wherever you're listening. This is the best way to support the podcast and help us reach new listeners. For more independent content, visit therodeomag.com where you can find a shop to all our latest print magazines, as well as a great big load of online content to explore. Interviews, album reviews, strange feature pieces we can't totally explain... We like to think there's something there for everyone. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our latest work and future episodes. You'll find us at the Rosio Mag on both. That's all for now, partner, but we hope to see you around these parts again. I've been your host, Liv Cowell, and on behalf of all the team at the Rosio, thank you again for listening. Yeehaw!